Today's daf is daf Pei Dalid. We are holding at the bottom of Pei Gimel Amidbeis, about four or five lines from the bottom, Rav Shimon Gamliel Omer. So we had in the uh, uh, we had in the uh, Mishnah the following ruling that they were discussing different types of situ- uh, uh, stipulations that a person can forfeit some of the rights that he has over his wife's nechsim alug. And, uh, whereas Tanakama ruled that if he says, Dinudvarim ain't even exayach and perusayim, contraviyahudiyatayperusayim, he says, Bechayach ulaacha misa, that both when you're alive and after you pass away, so then you also forfeited your rights to inherit her. Came along Rav Shimon Gamliel says, you can't forfeit your rights to inherit her. Why? Because since it's Torah that you have a right to inherit her, you can't be Masal Mashkaz Batari. You cannot create a stipulation that undermines what the Torah directive is. The Torah directive is if there's assets you do inherit her, you can't make a stipulation to avoid that. And right, that was the ruling of Rav Shimon Gamliel in the Mishnah. So I'm a Rav, I look at Rav Shimon Gamliel. So Rav came along and said that Aloha does follow Rav Shimon Gamliel, but Lomi Tameh, but not for the reason that he gives. Meaning, basically we'll have to see what Rav's Shita is. But Rav seems to be saying, yes, he's right. Rav Shimon Gamliel's right that the halacha does follow, which lechora means, that the husband does inherit, even though such a stipulation was made, the husband will still inherit, if his wife predeceases him, he will inherit her nechosim, but not for the reason that Abshim Gamlil gave. Now, what was the reason Abshim Gamlil gave that the husband still inherits the wife, even though he made such a stipulation? Because being master master of Torah. That was the reason. So the Gemara wants to know uh, what exactly my halacha of Shemim Gamliel What did Rav mean when he said the halacha is like Shemim Gamliel, but not for the reason that he gave? Now we're going to go through all the different variables, different options of what Rav could have meant. So now, like this, the ilur of Shimon Gamliel Savra Master Mashkaz of Torah. It's no bottle. So maybe it could be that this is one of the options that maybe Rob holds. That actually, if you make a stipulation, we have the Zashita like this in the Tanoim, Rabbi Yehuda holds that generally we don't allow you make a stipulation against something that is explicitly directed from the Torah unless it involves money. Unless it involves money. If it's a monetary item, then you could make a stipulation against what's within the Torah. Now, our case is a financial issue. Why is it a financial issue? Because it's talking about you inheriting your wife's assets. <coughs> so maybe the shot is like this, that Rav, in essence, disagrees with the reasoning given by uh, Rabbi Yehuda. Because Rabbi Yehuda... Uh, no, I'm not Rabbi Yehuda. Uh, give it up Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says the reason why it doesn't work because you're being masked homage because of the Torah. Right? Rav holds that that's not a problem. Since it's, it's Mormon, you could make a stipulation. So then why over here does the stipulation not kick in? He says like this, but Rav Sava, it's no kind. So Rav actually would hold that the stipulation should be Kayim. But Kasava, Yerusha, the Baal, the But he holds that the Yerusha, that a man, Yarshans, his wife, is not Torah. We talked about this yesterday. He's not based on the Torah. It's a Takanas Chachamim. 
And therefore what? The Chachamim also chizik of Ibrahim, Yosem Yishol Torah. That perhaps Rav Shita is that sometimes when the Chachamim to accentuate their din, to make their show that this is the Akonis Chachamim won't be able to be taken seriously, they actually made it even more powerful than a Deiraisa. So it means, and the way you would understand Rav is as follows. Rav holds that when a person made a stipulation and he said that I make a tonight that I'm waiving my rights to your Yerusha after you die. So even though well, so what Shimon Gamliel holds, it doesn't work because being master on Masha because of a Torah. Rav holds, that's not a problem. You could be master on Masha because of a Torah because it's a Dabr Shabbat Maman. So why doesn't it work? Because actually Rav holds that the inheritance that a man gets from his wife is only the Rabbonin. So what? And in this case, the Rabbonin made the Chizuk that gave the strength to it even what? Even more than the Torah. So if it's greater than the Torah, therefore what? If it would be like Torah, the Tanai would work. But since they made it greater than the Torah, that's why the Tanai doesn't work. So now that works. It dots the I's and crosses the T's. It works that Rav is saying, I happen to agree with Rav's, with Rav Shemin Gamliel's ruling, but not for the reason that he gave. The problem with that is, is that we're going to show, all of us have learned Masechus Makis, we learned Masechus Bometzia, we're going to see that Rav actually holds that it, even if, that you know, when something is, is the Raisa, even if it's monetary, even if you still cannot make a stipulation against it. You can't be Masal Masha Kazvatora, even on a Dover that's Mammon, you can't make such a stipulation, right? And therefore, that, what problem is that going to create? So the problem it creates over here is, is that now you can't say that, well, Rav Paskins like Rav Shimon Gamliel, but not for the reason that he gives. It is for the reason that he gives. He says that you cannot make a Tanai, even with Dover Shabbat Mammon against, you cannot make a Tanai, your Tanai will not be effective, even though it's wrong. So yet, therefore, why would Rav be saying not for his reason? It is for his reason. Right? Let's see inside. The Sava Rav to no kind. Does Rav really hold that when something is deraisa, a stipulation can still circumvent the Torah law, assuming it's financial? We know that's not Rav Shita. Faha Itmar, we know there's a form following One of the laws, uh, one of the Raisa halachas is called Onoa. Onoa is, it's literally, it's, it's, it's gou- price gouging. That you're not allowed to overcharge a, a person a certain percentage ab- above what the market value would be. Now what happens is, Machlokas Rashi tells us how to learn the exact case in Masechus Machas. But let's take it very simple the way Rashi seems to say. What happens if a guy walks into your store and says, how much is that? He says, listen, I want X amount, but I don't know what exactly the market price is. But if it comes out that the market price is a certain percentage below uh, uh, below what uh, uh, what I am charging you, and therefore you can come back and claim. Oh no, oh, no. you have to be Michael to me. It's on condition that you'll be Michael to me, and you won't come back and claim. Oh no, so you're making a tonight pretty much against what the Torah dictate is. What's the halacha with such a sale? So it says over this, the Ha'omil Chabero, I'm selling you this Almanasha in Lukhalayono, that you can come, cannot come back to me later and claim for that it was price gouging. Rav Amar Yeshlo Laboy no. Rav said you still have the right to come back. You don't have the right to come back. Now, what do you see? Why does Rob hold that you still have the either guy made a stipulation that you can't come back? So why does the guy still have a right to come back? 
Because you see, you're going against the Torah. Even in a moment case, you can master master the Torah. The Tanai is bottled. So now let's circle back. What was the case over here? The person said, I'm relinquishing my rights to collect your Yerusha after Shimon Gamliel said, it doesn't work. Is that the halacha is you still inherited because he's being master master of the Torah. Rav came along and said, that's the halacha, but not for that reason. Now we said, why? So he said, maybe because he holds that you could be master master of the Torah and you have to trabon on the Melchizedek. But that's not the case because it's a fina- even though it's a financial thing, Rav's shita is that if something is against the Torah, you cannot make that stipulation. So we're back to our question. What did Rav mean? Our law is like Shemim Gamliel, but not for the reason he gave. It should fit according to the reason he gave. Ella says the Gemara, maybe what Rav meant well, like, was like this. What Rav was saying is that even though I agree with Rav Shemim Gamliel in terms of his, uh, his reasoning, that yes, Generally, you cannot make a stipulation against something that is written in the Torah. But here, uh, Tznai bottle. But over here, the reason that the Tznai is bottle is not because you are Masal Masakos of Torah, but La Metame, but not for his reasoning. The Ilah of Shimon Gamliel Savar Mesa Yerushena. Rab Shimon Gamliel holds that Mina Torah, a husband has a right to in- inherit his wife. And therefore, when he says, Akar Misa, I won't get it, he's being Masnal Masnal Torah, according to the position of Shem Gamliel. However, Rav disagrees with that. Rav holds that the husband's right to inherit his wife is not Torah mandated. Where does it come from? It's Mesa, Lo Yershena. And Rav holds that Mina Torah, you don't have a right to inherit her. Now, so it comes out like this is that, uh, therefore, what basically what we're now reframing is that Rav says, I agree with your final outcome. What was your final outcome? I, 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 I'm sorry. I agree with your uh, specific logic. Your logic was that you cannot be master because of the Torah. Now, but that the outcomes are going to be different here because I agree with that. But I don't agree with you that inheriting a wife it's Minat Torah. means you hold it's Minat Torah, therefore when you apply the logic, therefore the stipulation is negated. I happen to agree with you that it's sound logic. You cannot be master on magic because of a Torah, but I disagree with you about what point. Wow. I happen to hold yeah, is that inheriting what is actually rabbinical. And therefore since I hold that it's rabbinical, what will be the halacha over here? I can go ahead and I can that I could circumvent the rule here because only job bonum. Now the Gemara says like this, but that doesn't really fit. What we're saying over here is a huge reach in terms of what way we're going to explain. So the simplest reading of 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 of, uh, of Rab was I agree with your psak halacha with your outcome. I just don't agree how you got to it. But we're now switching it all around. I agree with the logic of how you got to it, but I don't agree with the outcome. Why don't I agree with the outcome? Because your outcome will only be true if a man inherits his wife in a Torah. I happen to hold that a man inherits his wife Midrabanon. And therefore the logic doesn't apply over here. So then that's, that's the one I going to say. It doesn't fit what Rav said. That the way we're saying is I agree with your logic, I agree with your reasoning, I don't agree with your halacha. But that's not what he said, right? He said I agree with your halacha, but I didn't agree with your 
reasoning. You're, that's not what Rav said. That means I agree with your reasoning and not with the halacha, and that's not what he said. Ella says the Gemara. Let's try a third approach. Halacha Rav Shimon Gamliel. Yes, the halacha follows Rav Shimon Gamliel. The Amar Imesa Yerasheno. That means that even when she dies, and even though you made the stipulation, she predeceases, predeceases the husband. He will still inherit her. But Lamitamei. But not following his reasoning. What does it mean not following his reasoning? That you see from the reason of Shem Gamliel is that he holds that the only reason the stipulation doesn't work over here is why? Because he holds inheriting a wife is a Doraisa. The, the implication of that would be that if something would only be a Dorabonon, then what would be the Aloha? Then a stipulation could be made to circumvent the Drabonan. Have the Drabonan's now Kayim. Then the stipulation would be binding. Rav says, I disagree with that. Rav says, I agree with you that you cannot make a stipulation against the Torah, but what I disagree with you is by implication, you're seeming to say that it would be a Drabonan. You could make the stipulation. I disagree on that. I hold even a kind of Drabonan, you cannot make the stipulation. So that's the piece he doesn't agree with. Right. So what I was going to say is that it still doesn't fit the wording of, of Rob. I mean, what we're saying right now is I agree with the outcome. The outcome was that you cannot circumvent this Yerusha, right? Because you're making a Tanai. And, and you made a Tanai. Now, you said the reason it doesn't work because a Tanai is against the Darais, it doesn't work. Implying that it would be a Tanai against the Durabonon, it would work. I disagree with that. I hold whether it be Darais or Durabonon, the Tanai wouldn't work. Now, Okay, there is a point where they disagree, but that's not fitting the words. Because Ra's word is, I agree with the outcome, but I don't agree with the logic. Ra's not disagreeing with the logic, he's disagreeing with an implication of what the logic implies. That means he would, I would expand it, not only on Darius, you can't make a stipulation, but on Durabonans as well. But in terms of the ruling, he is agreeing with the ruling, and he's agreeing with how he got to it. So that's not disagreeing with him about his, the, 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 the logic that he applied. That would be going, Rav would be passing both according to the logic of Shemim Leo, and according to what the outcome, the halacha was. For Rav Mosif, which is Rav is adding an additional piece. What would Rav be adding? That I hold you cannot make a stipulation on a Durabonan either. But that's not fitting the words of what Rav said. Ella says the Gemara, I think this is the fourth uh, uh, shot at trying to explain it. The shot is like this. Halacha Krab Shimon Gamliel. Da'amar imesa yirashena. He says that the halacha is like Rav Shimon Gamliel, that the outcome is true. What was the outcome? That when you made the stipulation that I'm not going to inherit you after you die, what's the halacha is? That the halacha is you do inherit her. But but not for the reasoning that Rav Shimon Gamliel gave. Why? Because Rav Shimon Gamliel holds that Yerusha is the Raisa. So therefore the reasoning that he applied is what? is that you can't override the Raisa. I don't agree, says Rav, with that reasoning in, as it applies here. I might agree with you that a, a stipulation cannot override the Raisa. I don't happen to hold 
that Yerusha is the Raisa. I hold Yerusha is to Rabbanon. The reason I don't agree with your logic is I hold that the stipulation cannot override the halacha, but not because of the reason you gave. You gave the reason it cannot override it is because it cannot override the Raisa. I happen to hold it's the Rabbanon. And still the stipulation cannot override it because the Chachamim gave the Koach of this the Rabbanon the same as if it would be the Raisa. But it says like this, Neither Rabbi Shimon Gamil Saba Yerushas about the Raisa. Because Hamas Namaz goes with Torah and if you make it tonight against the Torah tonight bottle the stipulation is negated. Rav Saba Yerushas about is only the Rabbanon. But Chachamim also Chizuk L'Divrayim Kishol Torah they gave it the same strength as Torah. And since they gave it the same strength as Torah since they gave the Takanas Chachamim here that a husband inherited his wife Shol Torah therefore what? When you make the stipulation it sticks. It sticks. No. The stipulation cannot circumvent the derisa. Stipulation is negated because, but, so it comes out the outcome that the husband does inherit his wife when she dies, but it's not the same logic. The logic of Rabshim Gamliel is because he holds Yerusha Sabal is the, uh, of the Isha is the Raisa. Whereas according to Rav, he holds, I hold this Durabonah, and yet the reason why the stipulation doesn't work, because the Chachamim gave the strength of this Durabonah as if it's a Durabonah. That's what he meant, that the Halacha is like him, but not following the logic that he employed. The Rav Sabi, is about, that's the more asked like this. Does Rav really hold Yerushalayim about the Rabbanon? Because this whole answer now is predicated that Rav disagrees with Shimon Gamliel. Whereas if Shimon Gamliel holds Yerushalayim about is the Raisa, Rav holds Yerushalayim about is only the Rabbanon. We spoke about yesterday, how you look at Rav, the Psukim, how you read the Psukim. But nevertheless, tomorrow's about Tanan, we have the following Mishnah. Now this Mishnah is dealing with Yovel. Yovel, uh, 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 the 50 years of Yovel, all transactions that involve ancestral land are now negated and the land goes back to the original owner. Now what we're going to be dealing with the situation over here is that a, that the wife inherited from her father's side of the family, she inherited ancestral land and then because she was married to this fellow, when she passed away, the ancestral land went to him. And we're going to see an interesting halach here. said, person inherited ancestral land from his wife, comes the Yovel, he needs to give back that land to the wife's side of the family. However, he can charge them, but he has to give them a discounted rate. Now, the, we're very perplexed about understanding this halacha, right? Because Micah Sover, what does Rabbi Yochanan and Baroka hold? If Rabbi Yochanan and Baroka holds that a husband minat Torah inherits his wife, well, if he inherits his wife minat Torah, then what's the problem? He, why is he giving it back to the, uh, to the, <coughs> to the, to the wife's family by the Yovo? Now, okay, so the, you know, the way to get around it, maybe the, for I, uh, the husband only uh, inherited the, his wife, Midra Bonon, and really Minatora, he doesn't have a right to it, and therefore what should be the deen that Minatora, it goes back to the family. But then why is he charging them? Why should he be charging them any money for it? It should go, the halakha is, when you've got to give back, the it goes back, you don't charge the person for the land. 
Shmuel says like this, my kasavra, e kasavra, if he holds, Yerusha Sabali, they write so, that it's actually had a right to inherit Minatorah, Amayach, so why does have to give it back at the Ovel? Be Durabonon, and if it's only Durabonon, then Domnim, my Abedatayah, what does that have to do with any money? What about discounted? You shouldn't be charging them anything, not just a discounted rate, there should be nothing being charged. Now, how did Rav explain it? Comes along Rav, he said, That the pshat over here is that the Yerusha of the husband is really Minat Torah. Now, our question was that if the husband inherited Minat Torah, then why do you have to give it back altogether? Because there's a special halacha that if what you have acquired, right, if what you have received is actually a burial plot. It's the place where they used to bury their family. So the Chachamim made a special takana. Even though technically Minat Torah, it's yours, and you don't have to give it back, the Chachamim said that there's a big disgrace for the family that they no longer can access their burial plot, and other people are now going to be buried in their burial plot. So the Chachamim said, you need to get it back to them, but they have to pay you for it. That's the case over here. Now, from there, we already asked the, I'm asking the question. You see, the way Rav's explaining Rabbi Yochanan and Baroka is what's the halacha of Yerusha of the husband? It's his. Uh, and we just answered before that Rav held it was Rabban. That's, that's where the question's going to come from. So one says, Kagayin Shari that she bequeathed to him Ishtai based Akvaros that was a burial plot. Because of the disgrace of the family, Amr Rabbanu, the Chachamim came along and made the following takana, that lish called may, that you can collect money for it, but lahadar, you should give it back. So one says, fine, but why is it a discounted rate? What are you discounting? They, they should be paying you then full value. Why are you giving them less than the full value? So then, so why are you discounting? One says, uh, uh, because you buried your wife in this plot. Now, since you buried your wife, you actually were required to bury your wife, therefore you should not be charging them. The discount over here is, don't charge them from the area where you buried your wife. That's all it means. He said, to make every ishto, it refers to the discount on the, 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 the grave of the wife. And this, this idea is brought forth in the following b'risa. Hamocha kivro, a person who sold, a person who sells a, a, a um, kever, a, a grave, a person who was in tough, a tough situation, even sold, he sold a family plot. Or derech kivro, he sold the path that allows his family to have access to the graveyard. Ma'amod, ma'amod was the areas where they used to do, there were seven times they used to stop and then sit, they, 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 they would lead them, Imdu Yakarim Mamodu, sit, stand, stand, Shvu Yakarim Shvu, they used to do seven times, they used to stand and stop as covered for the mace, so he sold the place where they used to do it, or Makamethpeto, he sold the place where, used to be next to the base of Kvaras, where the eulogies used to take place, the halacha is, that the other members of the family can come to the buyer and they can demand that what? That he sell it back to them. They can use it against the buyer's permission. You should not have bought a burial plot. And they can bury their mace in there. We're just saying over here is they can buy it back. They can force you to sell it back to them. Because of the disgrace to their family. 
But anyway, that's the end of the question. The question is that we said before, Rav says, I disagree with Shimon Gamliel. I agree with the halacha, but not the reason he gave. Because he says, the inheritance of a wife is the rice, so I hold a husband inheriting a wife is only Rabban. And yet over here, we just explained this whole din by Yovel, it says that it's, it, Rav said clearly that it is the rice. So when it says like this, this, Rav was just explaining the position of Rabbi Yochanan and Baroka. Rav wasn't espousing his own position. He said, how do we explain Rabbi Yochanan and Baroka? Why does the husband have to give it back but can collect money for it because he holds it the Raisa and it happens to be a burial plot. But that's not Rav's own shita. Rav's own shita happens to be the husband uh, inherits his wife only with Rabbonin. So when it says, Rav was just explaining the Tana, Rav Yochanan Baroka is explaining his shita by the Leilo Svirale, but he doesn't hold like him. What does it mean he doesn't hold like him? He only holds it to He does not hold it is the Raisa. Alright, so that's the mission. No. Now we're talking about over here is that somebody died and he left an estate and there's three different parties vying for a piece of that estate. There are the Yasomim, the orphans, who have a right to anything the father left over, as by your by Yerusha. And there's also the wife who wants to get paid out her ksuva. And we're also going to be talking about that the father left a creditor who wants to get paid out his loan. Now we're going to see is that the halacha by the wife and the creditor, they can only take from property. Only property is leaned to the ksuva and property is leaned to the creditor. The halacha is that if there was no property, so a creditor, morally, they should pay off the father's debt from the cash that he left over. Not on their own pocket, right? But legally... They are not required unless there was actually a lien on the land. That's, that's, so they have three parties vying. We're going to talk about the pecking order of who goes first if there's a limited amount of funds. So Misha makes, so again, so a person died. Veiniach, he left Isha, he left the wife who wants a ksuva. Balchol, the creditor who wants to get the loan, paid back. The Yarshin, and he has his Yarshin, the inheritors, the orphans, right? Now here what happens is, this is interesting, is that the father, before he died, had deposited uh, either money or an object in somebody either to watch, or he had lent out, he gave somebody a thousand dollars. Now, the issue at hand is that that has not really come into the hands of the estate yet. Once it came into the hands of the estate, then that, they, they took control of possession of it. Then the horror, the creditor, and the uh, Esau out of luck because they only have a right, at least back in the day before the Tachonis Gaonim, they only have a, a lien on property, on real estate. They don't have a lien. But here, since it did not come into the hands of the Asumim, possibly we could say that they can collect even from the metaltalin or from the money that is owed, the loan that is owed. So what's the halach here? So Rabbi Tarfan Omer, you know in the koshal tzvahen. Rabbi Tarfan says you give it to the weakest one of them. Right. Now the strongest of them is clearly, who is the strongest party out of the three? The heirs. The estate. Because the, uh, they have, they own, and they, have, they own both Matalzalin and they own Kark, and the one going to bring another raya is that if anyone wants to take for them, they can only collect from them with a shvur. 
You have to make an oath in order to get it. So they come to the strongest party. Rabbi Tavon says, give it to the weakest one. And there's going to be a debate in the Gemara, who's the weakest one? We'll see who's going to be the weakest one. Rabbi Akiva says that when it comes to law, we don't, uh, there's no compassion. We don't so uh, favoritism, let's favor the underdog. We don't do that in law. Law is you've got to go with what's a little just thing to do. And the person who's in the strongest position should have rights to it. Who are the strongest position over here? The Yisomim, the estate. This money goes back to the estate. This object goes back to the estate. <coughs> because everybody has to take an oath when they collect from the Yorshim. Clearly the Yorshim are in the strongest position. Since the Yorshim is in the strongest position, this money or this, uh, this object cannot be collected by either the Isha or the Baal Chov. It goes to the Yorshim. So we have one machlokos here between Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarfan. Rabbi Tarfan said it goes to the weakest one. Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Akiva says it goes to the strongest one. Machlokos number one. And the Yorshim, by the way, do not have a need of Shvur to collect. Therefore, they are considered in the strongest position. Next case. So the, there was produce that had already been harvested and it's already separated from the land. So it's not considered karka anymore. It's really considered metalzlin. Now the one is going to come out, Lamaskan, that's talking about it's not resting on the land. Because if it's resting on the land, as soon as the father dies, it belongs... To the estate, and therefore the wife or the uh, the cannot. But we're talking about that this wasn't actually on the estate. So this is very similar to the other case. Starting on a wagon. What's or that? Is it off the it's off the estate. We'll see exactly where it is, but it's off the estate. So therefore, it's not an order. You could argue it's not an automatic that belongs to the yorshim. All right. So uh, the, whoever grabs them first, it's it's uh, it's a toss up. Whoever gets hold of it first. He, they are the ones that own it. Right. Zachza Isha Yosmiksavosa. Now what happens if the woman seized something for her ksuva and it comes out that what she seized is actually more than she needs? The question is who does she give the extra money back to? Correct. Correct. Because you give it to the orphans, the creditor is out of luck because it's metalsalin. So what do you do? So therefore, so uh, or the Baal Chov seized it and it was Yoser Baal Chov, it was more than the amount he needed to satisfy the debt. Hamoser, what do you do with the excess? So again, it goes to whoever's in the weakest position that needs it. And Rabbi Akiva Omer, what do you mean? We don't show favoritism when it comes to din. You give it to the Yarshin. Why? Because they all need an oath and the Yarshin don't need an oath to collect. So therefore, they're the Yarshin in the strongest position and therefore they have the right to collect that excess. So, okay, so we have here basically a huge machlokas between Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarfun, whether or not something that has not yet been seized by the estate and it's in metaltalin form, do the Isha or the Balchov have a right to it or does it get given back to the estate? So now the Gemara wants to know that in the first half of the Mishnah we dealt with two scenarios. Why wasn't it in the estate? Because the, it said either the father had lent the money out or had given out a deposit. 
Well, no, why do you have to buy both cases? Right? Why don't you just write one? The idea is it's not in the possession of the estate right now. So, why do you need both cases? I'll tell you why you need both cases. Because there is a significant difference between the two. Let's say the father lent somebody an axe. Okay? So now an axe is the, was the object that was owned by the father. That's different than if you gave someone a thousand dollars. Because as soon as you give somebody a thousand dollars, even if that thousand dollars is intact, that person doesn't have to pay back that thousand, because that thousand dollars is not longer considered to be owned by the father. That thousand dollars is owned by the person you lent the money to. He just owes a thousand dollars, but not that. So you could argue like this. You, if you only gave the example of the axe, so you could say like this, in the case of where it's an axe, that's where perhaps there's a stronger argument to say that this was the object of the father and automatically therefore becomes the object that belongs to the estate and that's why it has to be given back to the estate. Whereas cash, as soon as it's lent, it no longer... There's no, there's no item that belongs to the estate. Therefore, maybe in such a case, it's not, con- it's not considered owned by the estate unless the money gets paid back. So maybe in that case, what would you say? In that case, it makes more sense to say that the woman or the Baal have access to it. That's what they're going to be the two stories. That's why you have to give me in both cases that Rabbi Tarfin is going to still say you've got to give it back to the estate. I mean, uh, Rabbi Akiva is going to say in both cases you have to give it back to the estate. And Rabbi Tarfin is going to say in both cases give it back to whoever is the weakest of the bunch. Let's see. Tzricha. The Eitran Amilva, if you only had the case of a loan. But how come Rabbi Tarfin, that's what Rabbi Tarfin says, that give it to the weakest of them. Do why not give it back to the estate? Because a loan, as soon as it's been given, it's for spending purposes, meaning that the father, the estate, no longer owns those dollars. It's considered like it's for purpose of being spent. It means, you know, it's not like an axe that that's considered identified as the object of the father. And that's why they hold. Therefore, the estate doesn't have possession of it. And therefore, what's Rabtarfan's ruling? You can give it to either the Balchov or the Isha, whichever one considered to be the weak of the two. Abel the Karim, but it would be an axe. Maybe what Rabbi Tarfan Tar- would agree with Rabbi Akiva that what? Since this axe is considered to be the estate, it goes back. The Isa Be'ena, where it exists in its uh, initial form, and if you only have the case of the axe, then maybe you could argue the other way. Maybe that's where Rabbi Akiva holds, it has to go back. But it would be in money form, lent money, maybe they would, Rabbi Akiva would agree with Rabbi Tarf when that what? It doesn't have to go back. That's why you see Rabbi Akiva's sheet is, whether it's an axe, whether it is a loan, either way it goes back. And Rabbi Tarfan's position is either way you give it to the weaker of the two. So Mordechai says, "But how come Rabbi Akiva? Maybe only there Rabbi Akiva says it goes back." But in the case of the loan, Rabbi Tarfan says that's why we have to have both cases. Now let's go back to Rabbi Tarfan. Rabbi Tarfan says that if it hasn't be, it's not actually in the estate's possession, whether it be money or whether it be an axe. Either way, it goes to the weaker. Who's considered the weakest of the two? Meaning, it could either be the creditor. Or it could either be the Isha. Which one would consider the weak of the two? So my Lakoshal is Lakoshal. So Yosver Chanina Omer Lakoshal Shibiraya. He says the one that has the weakest strength in terms of the proof. Now, what this means is as follows. We know that generally a, 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 both the Ksuva 
and the loan are going to be dated. Now, the date is important because the date allows the bearer of the star to go after encumbered properties. So, the one that has a later date is considered to be weaker. He has less leverage. He can only go back to the date that is written in the document. So Rabbi Yosef Rechanina, the Amora, explains the Tana when Rabbi Tarfan said it goes back to the weaker one. What did he mean it goes back to the weaker one? It could either be the Isha or it could be the Balchol. Who is it going to go back to? The one with the latest date in their document. They're considered having the least, least amount of leverage. That's the one you're allowed to take this item from. Okay. Rabbi Yochanan Amar, he says, that's not what Rabbi Tarfa meant. He said, it means Ksuvah's Isha. The woman's Ksuva, no matter what the date is, is always considered to be the weaker one of the two. That's the one. Why? Mishum Chino, because in order to ingratiate her. Now Rashi learns, my close Rashi, and tells me we're going to go explain like Rashi. Rashi explains like this, that generally a woman is not comfortable going after uh, encumbered properties or fighting with people to get money that she's owed. She's not generally not comfort, comfortable with it. So therefore, we want to make her have a, make it easier for her document to get paid up. The Balchov, he has no problem going to court. Not a problem. She does. So you want to make it easier for her. Therefore, in this case, give it to the woman. Why? Why would they do that? Because that ingratiates them. Now, how does that ingratiate them? So now, this is actually Machlok's Rashi tells us. Rashi learns, it doesn't, it, it doesn't ingratiate them to their husbands. It ingratiates the husbands to them. They'll feel more comfortable saying yes to somebody who wants to marry them with the knowledge that it's going to be easier for them when push comes to shove, be able to collect their ksuva. That's how Rashi learns it. Tozvah learns it's talking about for the almanas. It'll be easier for the almanas to get married because you've now made it easier for them to collect their ksuva. And if they are having money, so then they'll be ingratiated to get, their husbands will want to marry them. So that's my clothes Rashi tells what the ingratiation is. But the bottom line is for the woman. You give it to the woman. That's what Rabbi Tarfan meant according to Rabbi Yochanan. All right. Ketanoi. This actually is not just a machlokus of Yosef Chanina and Rabbi Yochanan on a right level. It's actually machlokus Tanoim understanding Rabbi Tarfan's position. Rabbi Yaman Aimer Lekaisel Shabirayo. You give us the one as the weakest proof, the latest date. That's the fit. That's the appropriate thing to do. Rabbi Lazar Aimer Leksuva. You give it to the Leksuva of the Isha, no matter what the date is. Mishum Chino in order to have the husbands ingratiated in the eyes of the women, that is the way Rashi explained, in order that they should want to marry them, knowing that it's easy for them to collect their ksuba. Let's go by to... So the second half of the Mishnah did not talk about a loan or an object that was given. It's talking about that you have a field that was harvested, and the produce now is separated. It's not considered part of the field. And they had similar machlokas. Who does that go to? Right? So now... We said as follows, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Machlokz, Rabbi Tarfan, Rabbi Akiva. Right? Now, what was Rabbi Tarfan's position? Rabbi Tarfan's position is, whoever gets it first, that's who it goes to. Right? Because it's like, almost like in no man's land right now. Whoever grabs it, first come, first serve. Rabbi Tarfan, Rabbi, and, and, and Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva said, no, it goes to the Yarshim. Now, what the Gemara wants to know is, that Rabbi Tarfan and Rabbi Akiva seem to be arguing about uh, the situation that there was surplus. 
We talked about there was a surplus. What do you do with the surplus, right? Now, the, the question the Gemara wants to know, that according to Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva said that all of it goes back to the Yarshim. That was his position. You give it to the strongest pound. So why are they arguing about the surplus? The Chorah Rabbi Akiva shouldn't be arguing about the surplus. The entire amount should be going back to the Yarshim. That's the worst question. So Rabbi Akiva, my area, my sir, why are we discussing the surplus? Kulu Nami, the entire amount should go to the Yarshim Havu. So when it says, you're right, Enachinami, in Rabbi Akiva, it doesn't matter. Surplus, not surplus, the whole amount goes. The only reason Rabbi Akiva was talking about surplus, because that's what Rabbi Tarfan was talking about. Remember, Rabbi Tarfan said that the initial amount goes to whoever it needs to go to. And then what do you do with the surplus? Then you look at who's the next weakest party to give it to. But that's why he was discussing the surplus. In the sheet of Rabbi Tarfan, it makes a difference. So Rabbi Akiva continued talking about the surplus. But in truth, Rabbi Akiva's position is not just the surplus goes back to the Yorshim. In Rabbi Akiva's position, the entire amount should be going to the Yorshim. So one says like this, so my area, the Yorshim, you're right. That, uh, that's correct. He's talking about the surplus, he also talks about the, uh, the, the surplus. Now, now, he also mentions surplus, but really he means the whole amount. Now it comes out like this, Right. Rabbi, the case was, remember what the case was, is that either the woman or the Balchov were able to seize this item. They held, since it hadn't been in the possession of the Yerusha, they're able to seize it. Right? Now, Rabbi Akiva disagreed. He says, your seizure means nothing. Right? And you have to give it back. So what I wants to know, is that Rabbi Akiva's position in all financial matters that seizing something doesn't give you the upper hand? Or is there cases where seizing something actually Rabbi Kiva will agree that will give the woman or the Baal the upper hand? Rabbi Kiva hold that seizing something that never works. Is that what he holds? Tomorrow says like this. The one is going to explain, let me explain it outside, is that the reason why Rabbi Akiva holds that seizing doesn't work is Rabbi Akiva holds that, that once the husband dies, or the, or the father. Once the father or the husband dies, automatically it's considered to be the possession of the estate. So that's why a seizure doesn't help once the husband died. But Rabbi Akiva will agree that if the Baal or the Isha seized it before the guy died. So if it, before the guy died, it never really got to the Yorishim. So in such a case, he will agree that seizure will help. So therefore, if a woman grabs onto, even though she doesn't normally get paid from Talton, only Karka, but if she seizes cash, or seizes something for her Ksuva, that seizure will work as long as it takes place when? Before the death. Before the death. Rabbi Tarfan disagrees. Rabbi Tarfan says, just as seizure works before, it can also work after the death as well, because at the end of the day, it has not, it's not actually in the possession of the Yorshim. Right? We're talking about a case where... And, and that's because uh, you have a money claim the person who has the money in a stronger position at that point? Is that, does that come back to that? Well, that because now, you, because according to Rabbi now you've circumvented that they never got their hands on it. Yeah, you right. could say so. Now you got your hands right. on it. Sure. All right, I have to deal with you. Okay, so let's see inside. 
So Amar Rav, Amar Rav Nachman. So Rav explained the name of Rav Nachman. Who should Tavsim Mechayim? That when does Rabbi Akiva hold that it would work? If what? If it took when the father was still alive. Right? Now, Rabbi Tarfun holds it works even Achar Misa. Now, what was the logic of Rabbi Tarfun? Because the estate has not seized it. So Moshe says, but where is this produce? The Chor, if the produce is still in the field, then, 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 then your seizure shouldn't help because they already automatically it belongs to... Right. right. So Rabbi Tarfun, the Manati Hecha, where is it lying? It can't be in the field. So Moshe says like this, Rabbi Shmuel, the Amitravayu, Behushet Siburin, and that they're piled up and lying in the Rishus Rabim. Now in the Rishus Rabim, therefore, that's not considered to be something that you can say that they take possession of, because in a place where you can't even make a Kenyan. In Rishus Rabim, you can't make a Kenyan on it, therefore it's, but it's in Rishus, it therefore that's what we're discussing over here. That allows either the wife or the Balchov to do what? Seize to seize it. Abal Basimta, the Moses points out, it would be in an alley, right? Light. Now, why in an alley not? Now, an alley, which is like between the Rabin and the private domain, is because people would go into the alley, even though sometimes there's an overflow, and it's considered like the Rabin, when it's quiet, people would go in there to do transactions. So it is a place that transactions can take place. Since it's a place that transactions can place, Robin Shmuel hold that if these items were in the Simta, then it's as if they, then the Yorshim sees it. That's why so it has to be specific in a place where transactions can take place, which is only where... What's that? No, they have to have a right, you have to have a right to it. It still belongs to the, so the dead father left there. It's not Namamish it's not Mamish Hefker, right? It's not Mamish Hefker. So why is it like this? So why is it like this? Rabbi Yochan and Shlakis disagree. They all get it can't be in the field, but it could even be in an alley. So he says, Even a symptom. Because even an alley, it's still not the field. It's still not the field. Since it's not Mamash the field, it's not automatically acquired by the Yorshim. Therefore, the wife or the Balchol uh, can still add, uh, seize it and get hold of it. So we have a Machlokas. In the Shita of Rabbi Tarfun, that you can seize after the husband or the, or the father dies, but where does it have to be, right? The Machlokas, does it have to be specifically in the Rishus Rabin, that's what Rabin Shmuel held, or could it even be in the alley like Rish Lakish and Rabbi Yochanan? Now, one says like this, don't dine with Rabbi Tarfun, that the judges in Rabbi Tarfun's time, Eric, uh, I don't say when, but don't dine with Rabbi Tarfun, the judges judged a ruling like Rabbi Tarfun, means they allowed a seizure to take place after the death of the individual. Came along, so this was the times of Yochanan Shlokish. Bahadre Shlokish. Shlokish heard about it and he overruled him. He said, go give it back. It belongs to the Yorshim because the Alokha does not follow Rabbi Tarfun. The Alokha follows who? Rabbi Akiva, which was what? That once the husband dies, then you cannot seize it anymore. That's what he held. So now, uh, so, he made them uh, the, 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 the people who seized it give it back he overruled the ruling of Rebbe, uh, of, of the judges so Amle Rabbi Yochanan so Shlokish's brother-in-law Rabbi Yochanan said to him he said have you made this like a Torah law I mean Torah law if there's something says specifically this black and white this is the law and a, and a judge goes against Torah law then the rule is what? overturned but this is not a Torah law. This is a Machlokas Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarfun. Now, even if you feel strongly that the Halacha follows 
Rabbi Akiva, you can't overrule them. They pass, and the follows like Rabbi Tarifun. It doesn't give you the right to go ahead and overturn, right? So we have to understand, somehow Reish Lakish felt he had a right to overturn it. Rabbi Akiva held that he did not have a right to overturn it. So what is the machlokas here between Rabbi Akiva and Reish Lakish? So maybe they're arguing about the following. Exactly this. There is a, uh, a ruling that doesn't have to be Mamash Adaraisa. If something is clearly, even a Mishnah, something is clearly that, it's even on a rabbinical level, but it's clear that that's the halacha, if a judge makes a mistake in that, you can overturn it. Now, what was the issue over here? Is that, uh, uh, that, that Rabbi, that Rabbi, uh, that Lakish held that their rule is, there's a principle, when Rabbi Akiva argues with another person, the Allah always follows Rabbi Akiva. So he says, this is like making a mistake in something that's like in a Mishnah. Why? Because everybody should know that what? Even though there is a valid opinion of Rabbi Tarfan, but it's Rabbi Tarfan against Rabbi Akiva, we follow Rabbi Akiva. And that's why Rabbi Eric Shlokish felt that what? You have a right to overturn it. Right, closer. Marisava would have Yochan hold. Tarbid Bar Mishnah in a closer. That no, even though it's like a Dvar Mishnah, even though it's a principle that everybody knows, that Rabbi Yochan against, uh, that Rabbi Akiva against Rabbi Tarfun, that follow, Halakha follows Rabbi Akiva, that's not considered to be enough grounds to overturn once they actually rule like Rabbi Tarfun, you cannot go ahead, still not considered like violating a Daraisa. Right? So then it says like this. So maybe that seems to be the Machlokas. Moses says that's not the Machlokas. The Kula Alma Tabit Varnishna Choser is that everybody agrees that if it's something clear cut, like even something on a Mishnah, it's never a Daraisa, clear cut on the Mishnah, that everybody holds that the basin can be overruled and you make him give it back. So what's the machlokas? What Rabbi Yochanan and Shlokish are arguing about is the following. That Rabbi Shlokish, that's the principle. The principle is that when you have Rabbi Akiva arguing with his friend, the Allah follows Rabbi Akiva, and then with Tavad Bar Mishnah, and with Tavad Bar Mishnah, it has to be overturned. What did Rabbi Yochanan hold? He says, but below me Rabbo, now, uh, I'm sorry, what's the place? One opinion held, is that the only follower of Akiva when it's against his colleague, but not against his Rebbe. Rav Tarfan was his Rebbe. Rav Tarfan was Rabbi Akiva's Rebbe. So therefore, Rabbi Yochanan held, yes, the principle is that you go like Rebbe. But not when he's going against his... Rebbe, that was a shlokish, that the principle applies even when he's going against his Rebbe. So therefore the question was, was this targ of our Mishnah? Means if you hold that uh, Rabbi Akiva can even, oh, trumps even his Rebbe, that's what shlokish holds, therefore they made a mistake, they have to give it back. Whereas according to Rabbi Yochanan, they didn't make a mistake. Why didn't they make a mistake? Because usually the Allah follows Rabbi Akiva against his colleague, but not again, Shabbat Tarfun, who is his Rebbe. So that's one way of explaining this. Ibai's aim, I have another way of explaining this. The Kula Alma, look, Rabbi Akiva, Chadeiro, Rabbi Everyone agrees, Rabbi Akiva would only be able to argue with his colleague, but could not argue with his Rebbe. But what they're arguing about like this, is that as Rabbi Akiva grew greater in life, and grew greater, then his Rebbe became... His, like, a co- like a colleague, at least like a colleague. He became like a town of Chadr. Right. That's Machlokas. So therefore, that was Marsav Rabbi Tarfan Rabbi According to Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Tarfan still always remained that status of Rebbe and Rabbi Kiva the Talmud. Whereas according to Rabbi Shlokish, 
that evolved into being that Rabbi Akiva was considered to be a colleague. Rabbi Yomar Sabah and that's why you can overturn the ruling. Another way to explain the Machlok is the Kula Alma Chaveirahave. Everyone agrees that Rabbi Akiva was a Talmud Chaver, became a colleague to Rabbi Tarfan. So what's the Machlok is Rabbi Yochanan Shlokish? They're arguing about the principle itself. According to Rishlokish, the principle was that it's black and white. The halacha is any time Rabbi Akiva argues with his colleague, you rule Rabbi Akiva. Whereas Rabbi Yochanan says that wasn't so black and white. Rabbi Matin Itmar. Matin means we inclined. We inclined to rule like Rabbi Akiva. But it doesn't mean that if if Bediyevet, if a Beistin would rule like Rabbi Tarfun, it's all, the inclination should have been like Rabbi Akiva. But if it was done already, then according to Rabbi Yochanan, then it stands, you leave it, you leave it the way it is. Because you're only inclined to go like Rabbi Akiva. It doesn't have to be like Rabbi Akiva. That is what Rabbi Yochanan held. Alright. The morning brings down the following story. Krivei de Rabbi Yochanan. The relative of Yochanan, Tafas Parodiyasmi Misimta. They went and seized a cow, right, a, a cow or a bull that belonged to orphans, means it was part of the Yerusha, and they grabbed it from a simta from an alley, alright? So I was going to Rabbi Yochanan, they came to Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan couldn't pass him for them because he is their relatives. But they were asking, what's the story over here? What do you think? So Amalahu, Shapit of Susua, he says, to me it sounds like that's a, a, a good uh, seizing, right? Especially we learned that even though Rabbi Akiva says you can't seize after the guy died, but nevertheless, according to Rabbi Yochanan, it's only inclined to rule like him, but you did the, you, you went uh, the other way. Now, as Rabbi actually learned, they shechted and they ate it. So that became a Bidyevit already. It was like a Bidyevit situation. So I said, go give it back. It was like a Bidyevit situation. Also, Kameidra of Yeshimim and Shlokish, they went to court in the same city. They went to Reish Lokish, right? Reish Lokish. Unfortunately, Reish Lokish held is that the halacha has to go like Rabbi Akiva, right? Black and white. So therefore, Amalehu, Zilu, Ahadr, Ahadr. You have to go give back. In the case of Moshe, you have to pay for it because you had no right to seize it and let alone shecht and eat it. So other than maybe Rabbi Yochanan, they came back to Rabbi Yochanan. You told us it's okay. Reish Lakish ruled against us. So What can I do? I have a colleague. I have an equal that argues with me, and you went to him to court. You couldn't come to me, and you have to go by his ruling. So this over here, there before was a cow. This is a bull. There was a Ahubakara. Bakara, I'm sorry. Bakara is the is the guy who watches. The, the guy watches the cows, the, herd, the herdsman. There was a herdsman that was entrusted to watch the estate's uh, bulls, okay? Cows and bulls, right? The Tamsi Turamine, a bull was seized. Under his watch, a, a, a creditor came and seized the bull, saying that this is to pay off his debt, the creditor of, 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 the, of the owner. Now, the Balchov Amar Michaim Tafsina. The Balchov says, I seized it. Now what happened was the owner died. Now the, uh, the creditor says, when I seized it, the owner was still alive. Which means it had not fallen into the domain of the Yorshim. And my seizure, therefore, is a valid seizure. Whereas the Bakara, the herdsman claims, he says, that's not what happened. 
the guy, the owner, died, and only then he sees it, which means he sees it la'achar misa, which means he wants to pass in like Rabbi Tarkov, but the halacha follows Rabbi Akiva, and he sees it after he can't take it at that point. So therefore, Rabbi Amr la'achar misa tafseh, he grabbed it after the owner died. So Azuka made Rav Nachman. So he came to Rav Nachman. So Rav Nachman was very smart. He said like this. He's like this. He goes to the uh, herdsman. He says, "Do you have any witnesses that he seized it? Is there anyone that that witnessed he seized it?" He said, "No." He said, "So the Chora, if he wanted to, he wanted to lie, he could say I bought it." Right? And then what are you going to do if he says he bought it? Right? So therefore, the fact that you don't have any proof that he even seized it. Therefore, we have to believe him that what? That when he says that he sees it yeah. before the owner, you have to believe it. that's what happened. So he says, Do you have any proof that he sees it? So the herdsman said, No. So Migu is like a tool of believability. Since I bought it, so therefore, therefore, and, and you wouldn't be able to disprove that. So then, then you can also say, he's also believed to say that what? Not bought He seized it before the owner died. Says so it more like this. That's a little bit of shver. Reish Lakish, when I learn about the Basra, Reish Lakish says that Godros herds, like of sheep and of goats, you can never grab and say you bought. Why? Since these things are let, they're free roaming. Since they're free roaming, everybody has access to them. So if you're going to claim you bought it, what do you have to be able to do? You have to be able to prove it. Show the document, show the witnesses. But if you cannot, you cannot just wake up that one morning and say, oh, these are mine. I bought them. Prove it. So how could the, what, what, what did Nachman say to him? Do you have uh, proof that he sees it? That, 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 that he sees it? Otherwise, you could say he bought it. Well, if he says he bought it, Lachora, what? Prove it. Right? Someone says, Amr Eshlokish, Eshlokish says, Godros, that free roaming herds, Eimlaim Chazaka, there is no Chazaka that because it's in my hands that I have nine tenths of the law, that it's mine, and therefore you have to believe me that I bought it. You can't claim that. You have to prove it when it comes to things that are free roaming. Someone says like this, we're not talking about goats or sheep. We're talking about bulls. Bulls, they don't let free roam. Bulls were under supervision. Therefore, by a bull, you can claim you bought it. Whereas by a uh, sheep and goat, there you can. But this guy could have claimed he bought it, did not claim he bought it, claimed he seized it, but he claimed he seized it when the guy was dead. Therefore, you have to believe him. The guy, the guy, when he, uh, the guy was still alive, you have to believe him. Shani Tura, that it's different in the case of bulls or, or, or large cows, the Mesira Leroe, that they're given over for the supervision of the herdsmen. Let's just finish up. The Bainasiya, the the household of the Nasi, right? Tafus Amsa the Yasmi Masimta. They seized a maidservant that money was owed to them, and they went and grabbed the maidservant from the alley as payment for what was owed to them. So Yazid Rabbah, Rabbi Khanina Bar Papi, Rabbi Yitzhakhnafka, so these three uh Amaroyim were sitting in Bastin. But Yazid Rab Abba Gabayan, Rab Abba happened to be seeing the super seeing what's going on. We're sitting there. So Amalahu, Shabbat Yisua, he says, you guys, that was a good Tvisa. We learned to conserve Iktofas from a Simta, from an alley. So he said to him, that's not the correct halacha, because this already belonged to the, the, to the, uh, Yorishim. And we passed him like Rabbi Akiva that once the person dies, you cannot seize. So why are you ruling for them like Rabbi Tarf when you should be ruling 
Like Rabbi Akiva. So Amalahu, Rabbi Abbas, Rabbi Abbas, Mishum, Devein, Nasiyaninu. Just because they come from the whole household of the Nasi. So now this is like you're pandering to them. You're afraid of the Nasi. Machanfisu, you're flattering them. You're pandering to them. We know that earlier we learned that Rabbi Tarf, that, that the judges, uh, uh, ruled in accordance with Rabbi Tarfan. And what did Reish Lokish come and do? He overturned it, he reversed it. Bahadre Reish Lokish, uh, he made him reverse it. Therefore, this is not the correct ruling. This is not a valid seizure. And they should give this maidservant back to the estate. We'll stop over here. They still going in there, right?